0: Welcome to another special one-hour episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm your host, Pat Wright. And while we've set the mood with that first piece of music, that's the beginning of Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony and the subject of our show today. Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony is an expression of his own experience and feelings. And it's also a testament to his admiration of the composer Beethoven. Tchaikovsky was a huge fan and he was especially a fan, for those of you who listened to our earlier episodes, of the Fifth Symphony, also known as the Fate Symphony. And that bit of music that we just heard in the very beginning of our show, which is the beginning of his Fourth Symphony, that bit of music is what Tchaikovsky called the seed of the whole opera, that theme, you'll hear it pop up again and again. That is fate. It's a conscious way of paying homage to Beethoven and the way he begins his fifth symphony. Even if you can't call it to mind, perhaps this will remind you. Dum 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 I sound just like a symphony orchestra, don't I? (laughs) Well, Tchaikovsky's theme is, is reminiscent on purpose of, those four famous notes from Beethoven. Tchaikovsky describes his opening theme in the first movement this way. This is fate. This is that fateful force which prevents the impulse to happiness from attaining its goal, which jealously ensures that peace and happiness shall not be complete and unclouded, which hangs above the head like the sword of Damocles unwaveringly constantly poisoning the soul it is an invincible force that can never be overcome merely endured hopelessly so this isn't reflecting a terribly happy period of his life and we'll talk a little bit more about those specific circumstances but just a brief introduction of Tchaikovsky Tchaikovsky was born in 1840 and lived until 1893 he is Russian and As far as musicians go, he didn't dedicate himself to a career in music till sort of late. In his early 20s was when he switched from studying law to studying music. In time, he becomes a professor at the Moscow Conservatory and you probably don't need me to tell you he was a very gifted musician. We are going to return to this first movement now and listen to it in its entirety. But let me give you an explanation. We're so fortunate to have these letters. He was a big letter writer. And this is a letter he wrote to his best friend. I'll tell you more about that best friend later, but let me explain what he wrote to his best friend explaining this very first movement of this four-movement symphony, number four. He wrote, The bleak and hopeless feelings grow stronger and intense. Is it not better to escape from reality and to immerse oneself in dreams? And that's explaining one piece of it, And then, because in his letter, he actually illustrates it with the motifs or or the pieces of music that he's explaining. Next, he writes another bit of music and says, Oh joy, out of nowhere, a sweet and gentle daydream appears. Some blissful, radiant human image hurries by and beckons us away. Another section of music is written in the letter, and he explains it. Gradually, the soul is enveloped by daydreams. Everything gloomy and joyless is forgotten. Here it is, here it is, happiness. More music is written with this explanation. No, those were daydreams and fate wakes us from them. More music. And thus, all life is unbroken alternation of harsh reality with fleeting dreams and visions of happiness. No haven exists. Drift upon that sea until it engulfs and submerges you in its depths. Then he he sums up by saying that roughly is the program of the first movement. You may recall that we mentioned program symphonies when we were talking about the Symphonie fantastique by Berlioz. It's the kind of symphony, honestly, that was not considered as elevated and elite, but the kind that told a story more or less in the way that an opera might tell a story a program symphony and rather than turning away from this concept here Tchaikovsky embraces it and he says yeah this is a program symphony I I have a story I'm going to tell with this symphony so you've just heard the story he's going to tell as we go through this first movement and when that's over I'll be back with more Listening to Opera for Everyone, and this is Tchaikovsky's fourth symphony. We've just listened to the first movement. And I want to give you a little bit of background on Tchaikovsky. This symphony premiered in Moscow in February of 1878. He composed it primarily in 1877. It was a momentous year for Tchaikovsky. In 1877, he made a decision. His personal life was attracting gossip and harsh criticism, and he decided that rather than continue the life of what they used to simply call a confirmed bachelor, Tchaikovsky decided he would end the gossip and he would find a woman to marry. In 1877, that fateful year, he received a letter from a former student. Her name was Antonina, and she was simply infatuated with... Tchaikovsky. It seemed like an answer to all of his problems. She was considerably younger than he was and they got married. They only stayed together for well less than three months. It was miserable. He had no interest in her. She was not actually a terribly stable person but he had no there was no attraction that he felt towards her. It was not going to work out between them not long before he received that first letter from Antonina and ultimately married her, he received another interesting letter. This one was from Nadezhda von Meck. She had previously commissioned some music from him and she had written an extraordinarily warm thank you to him. One which showed her deep appreciation of music in general and his music in particular. And before long, the two of them developed a correspondence on a profound level. She adored music and she particularly appreciated all the gifts that Tchaikovsky possessed. And so during this period of unhappy marriage, he wrote to her. And by the way, if you haven't guessed it, she, of course, is this best friend that I referred to before the first movement. Just a couple of weeks before his marriage to Antonina, he wrote to Nadezhda von Meck and he said, I'm irretrievably lost. Death seems the only solution. And if that sounds dramatic, he felt dramatic and in fact did attempt suicide. He, of course, didn't die. And the correspondence between Tchaikovsky and Nadezhda von Meck and his relationship with her, you could argue she's a saving angel for Tchaikovsky, and we all owe her a debt of gratitude. She appreciated him, she didn't criticize him, she, she essentially granted him absolution for what he felt were his sins. And she not only understood him and supported him emotionally, she became a patron, and she gave him great financial support, because she did have those resources and they continued a rich correspondence for many years. And this is the great friend that he writes to, explaining this symphony, and he refers to it in the letters to her as our symphony. And it is dedicated to her, surreptitiously, of course. He simply dedicates it to my best friend, my great friend, and that, of course, is Nadezhda von Meck. It was a short time before Tchaikovsky was separated from Antonina, though thanks to the generous amount of money he had from Nadezhda von Meck, he not only was able to leave his post as a professor at the Moscow Conservatory, he was able to offer support to Antonina. I should point out that Tchaikovsky and Nadezhda von Meck never met in person. It was a profound and nurturing relationship, but it was always from a distance, always through letters. They're truly soulmates, but they didn't meet face to face. And in fact, she puts it into words at one point and tells him in a letter, I prefer to think of you from a distance to hear you in your music and to feel at one with you in your work. So the second movement we're about to hear, he also explains in a letter to Dendejda, his best friend. He says the second movement of the symphony expresses another aspect of sadness. This is that melancholy feeling which comes in the evening. When weary from one's toil, one sits alone with a book, but it falls from the hand. There come a whole host of memories. It is sad that so much is now in the past albeit pleasant to recall one's youth, both regretting the past and yet not wishing to begin life over again. Life is wearisome. It is pleasant to rest and to look around. Memories abound, happy moments when the young blood boiled and life was satisfying. There are also painful memories, irreconcilable losses, and this is now somewhere far distant. It is both sad, yet somehow sweet to be immersed in the past. Bear that in mind as you listen to the second movement of Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony. This is opera for everyone. And that was the second movement of Tchaikovsky's fourth symphony. Much of our insight into this symphony comes from these letters that Tchaikovsky wrote to his emotional and financial support, his saving angel, Nadezhda Von Neck. She played this role in his life for a critical 13 years between 1877 and 1890. During that time, the two of them exchanged over 1,200 letters. And in one of those letters, she asks him whether this was a programmatic symphony, a symphony that tells a story. And this is what Tchaikovsky replied. You asked me whether there is a definite program to this symphony. And usually when this question is put to me about a symphonic work, my answer is, and he emphasizes, none. How can one put into words the intangible sensation which one experiences when writing an instrumental work without a specific subject? This is a purely lyrical process, that is, fundamentally an unburdening of the soul in music, with its essence distilled into sounds. But then he explains about this particular symphony, the one we call number four, and Tchaikovsky always refers to it in his letters to Nadezhda as our symphony. He says, in our symphony there is a program, i.e. it is possible to express in words what it is trying to say and to you and only to you I am able and willing to explain the meaning both of the whole and of the separate movements and we're grateful to be able to use that explanation in understanding this fabulous symphony and speaking of program and telling a story it's worth remembering that Tchaikovsky was accomplished in many other forms of musical storytelling This is opera for everyone. And I don't want to neglect mentioning that he wrote a number of operas. Eugene Onegin, The Maid of Orléans, Olanta, Mazeppa, and Queen of Spades are operas of his. Also, you're probably familiar with some of his ballets, some of the most famous ballets in the repertoire. Swan Lake, which was based on German and Russian folk tales, also Sleeping Beauty, and of course, The Nutcracker, that annual favorite. And speaking of annual favorites, interestingly, the 1812 Overture is often featured in the United States in Independence Day celebrations. He wrote it in 1880 and it celebrates the Russian defeat of Napoleon's invasion into Russia in 1812. He does like telling stories with music. So clearly at many points in his career, he enjoys telling stories with music, even if it is not as autobiographical as the fourth symphony. Continuing on with the third movement, Tchaikovsky explained to Nadezhda, that the third movement expresses no specific feeling. He says, this is whimsical arabesques, vague images which can sweep past the imagination after drinking a little wine and feeling those first phases of intoxication. The spirit is neither cheerful nor sad, thinking about nothing in particular, giving free rein to imagination, which somehow begins to paint strange pictures. Amid these memories, There suddenly comes a picture of drunken peasants and a street song then somewhere in the distance a military procession passes these are completely incoherent images which sweep through the head as one falls asleep they have nothing in common with reality they are strange wild and incoherent That was the third movement of Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 4, performed by the Vienna Philharmonic under the baton of Herbert von Karajan. A word about the premiere of this opera. Tchaikovsky was not present at the February 22, 1878 premiere in Moscow, but Nadezhda von Meck, she was there, and she told him about it he was spending some of the money given to him by Nadezhda von Meck in Florence, spending some time in the company of some of his friends. However, Nadezhda was there and she wrote to him about it. She let him know that the audience responded with great enthusiasm. That's true, but the critics not initially, not so much. And it was in response to her feedback to him about the reception that the audience had given to this symphony that he wrote to her the letter that we've been using throughout this program to explain each one of the movements. And quite honestly, one of the things that I find most interesting and and pleasing is that Tchaikovsky himself was deeply satisfied with this symphony, the one he wrote to Nadezhda about, calling it Our Symphony. He wrote, it seems to me that this is my best work. What lies in store for this symphony? Will it survive long after its author has disappeared from the face of the earth or straightaway plunge into the depths of oblivion? I only know that at this moment I am blind to any shortcomings in my new offspring. So never mind what the critics said. Tchaikovsky knew he had written something that he was pleased with even if it fell into oblivion which clearly it did not. Before introducing the fourth movement I do need to let you know that this important and intimate epistolatory relationship comes to an end close-ish to the end of both of their lives and it was Nadezhda who cut it off. Some had said that her children found out about it and found it wildly inappropriate for her to have this sort of relationship with a man. What she wrote to him is that she felt that she needed to turn her attention more fully to her children. No matter, it was, it was a severe blow for Tchaikovsky, and clearly it was hard on her as well. Their correspondence came to this abrupt end in 1890 And it was late in 1893 when Tchaikovsky died and only a few months later when Nadezhda herself died. Someone had asked one of Nadezhda's daughters how she bore knowing that Tchaikovsky had died and the daughter simply replied, she didn't. And now for the fourth and final movement of Tchaikovsky's fourth symphony. He wrote to Nadezhda in his explanation of this fourth movement. If within yourself you find no reasons for joy, then look to others. Go out among people, see how they can enjoy themselves, surrendering themselves wholeheartedly to joyful feelings. Picture the festive merriment of ordinary people. Hardly have you managed to forget yourself and to be carried away by the spectacle of joys of others. than irrepressible fate appears again and reminds you of yourself. But others do not care about you and they have not noticed that you are solitary and sad. Oh, how they are enjoying themselves. How happy they are all that their feelings are simple and straightforward. Reproach yourself and do not say that everything in this world is sad. Joy is a simple but powerful force. Rejoice in the rejoicing of others. To live is still possible. Wow. Well, that was 1877 for Tchaikovsky trying to find hope amongst all of the difficulties of that year. Stepping back, he explains that this is the first time in my life I have attempted to translate musical thoughts and images into words. I was severely depressed last winter when writing the symphony, and it serves as a faithful echo of what I was experiencing. They remain general recollections of the passions and mysterious feelings that I experienced. So now we will conclude the fourth symphony of Tchaikovsky. (laughs) Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony. Thanks so much for joining us for this special episode of Opera for Everyone. I've been your host, Pat Wright. We love music and we love music that tells stories. Usually that's opera, but this time it was orchestral and it was magnificent. Please remember that you can hear Opera for Everyone, our regular radio show, a two-hour take on an individual opera each time, It airs Sundays 9 to 11 Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL, or you can find the Opera for Everyone podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Opera for Everyone, we believe that opera should be understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for everyone. And I hope we've done a little bit of that too for symphonies. Thanks so much for joining us. And be sure to join us for our last special show in this series, a compilation of opera songs of triumph and celebration.